Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. I get the privilege of, of introducing someone. So today, uh, we have a guest speaker who's preaching today, and uh, this person is pretty influential in my life. Um, so he was the senior pastor at the church that I came from before coming to New Life. And uh, I asked if he would be willing to come some Sunday, and he said he could, and today's the day. So I'm, I'm so excited to have Jeff Nelson come and share the word with you. He's been so helpful to me, and I know you're going to be blessed by the message today. So Pastor Jeff Nelson will be joining us. Well, um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. I'm cheating. I understand you're a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Mark. I asked Brian if I could fast forward a little bit in the Gospel of Mark. But if you brought a Bible or a device and you want to look at Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, um, that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit later. Um, let me just say this, that um, I, in our church family, we use message notes. And so uh, I think that quite a few people, did everyone get one? Uh, but um, if you are a message note person, fine. If not, just leave them on your seat. They'll recycle them. But also, I've been told that if you have, like, papers hanging out of your Bible, people just think you're more spiritual. <laughs> so it's just an idea. Um, I met Brian when he, I think, was, like, 15 years old. So I remember preaching on Sundays, and he, his family was not part of our church at that time, but he would get up early and come to the 8 o'clock service with one of his uh, other mentors named Doug. And I would just remember always looking out at the most pleasant face looking back at me. And I remember then thinking, this guy is hungry to know God. And so years later, we had no idea, once he and Jess got out of seminary, we talked to them about coming on our team, and that was before they had kids. And just watching the way his life has unfolded has really been a joy to me. So when he was talking to me about possibly coming to Morton, I just thought, I wanted to know more about you. So now I'm here today, and I get a chance to see, and this is a neat place. So as we think about uh, the message today, um, which I've entitled, How Not to Waste Your Life, I want to share with you a story um, uh, before we get to the message notes, let me just share a story that I love uh, to share. And it, it goes like this. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage singing. The next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum cleaner. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers in the bottom of the cage, and then the phone rang. Instinctively, she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, and snapped off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned, covered with heavy black dust. She grabbed him and rushed to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power-washing him clean. So, next, she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, shivering little bird with hot air. 
Now here's my favorite line. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> I, I, I bet. Now, there's an occasion that we're going to look at today where a woman does something very personal, very loving to Jesus, and she's criticized. And it absolutely just takes the joy out of the room. And in this text, Jesus responds by wonderfully defending her and sharing a five-word phrase, actually five different phrases, uh, and then I want to just point out one of them after we've looked at all five that I hope you'll take to your car today. And it really, if you're following along the notes, is answering this question, how can we live so we do not waste our lives? How can we live? So again, if you're following along, that word waste our lives, uh, that's actually in our text today. You're going to see the word waste show up. And the question is, uh, here's a question that I, I wrestle with. Have you ever noticed that on any given day there's a hundred things to do? That on any given day it feels like, well, how, which one? How do I, what do I do? How do I get all these in? How do I? And so this passage, Jesus has used in my life to help me. Um, uh, Brian mentioned that I, I've been a pastor for a number of years of a church, and as the church began to grow, my, my relational world got so complicated and so many different responsibilities that I just remember thinking, what, what can help me? Because it just felt sometimes overwhelming and I didn't feel like I was ever getting enough done. So I want to talk to you about that today. And um, out to the right, I've listed um, some verses. In the, in the Gospels, um, Mark's Gospel here, chapter 14, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and John's Gospel, chapter 12, is where this account is all seen from different lenses, different angles. And if you put those three together, from John's Gospel, we learn that the lady's name that eventually comes to give this gift to Jesus, her name is Mary. She's the sister of Martha. Her brother Lazarus has been raised from the dead recently in this passage. And so she's not uh, some people think this is the same woman that anointed Jesus in Luke 7, the sinful woman. It's not the same woman. There's a number of Marys in the New Testament, but this is Mary from Bethany, which was a small town south of Jerusalem. And so that just gives us a little background. But the, the verses I've listed out to the right with that first line all tell us one thing about Mary. Each time we read about her in the New Testament, she's at Jesus' feet. A posture of teachability a posture of listening, a posture of worship. So how do we not waste our lives if you're following along a week before his death? Jesus tells us how. A week before his death, Jesus tells us how. And again, I'll read uh, some of the passage here, but would you mind praying with me just that we would be able to be at Jesus' feet, that we would have a worshipful posture this morning as we read this account. I understand that you're studying Mark in order to be disciples who spend time with him and become more like him. I want to do that too. So Lord, there's just something about when you teach us that is so powerful. You know how to speak in the language we understand. You can come to every seat. I pray that no matter what, person, uh, what a person's starting point is this morning, that you would have something for them that would help them this week. 
In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me start out here. And you'll notice there's a couple gray boxes in the notes. I'll invite you at different points to read those out loud with me so we can do that together. But if you want to follow along, verse 3 starts this way. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. I'm told that this was... uh, exported from India, so imported, uh, they, they brought it into the country from India. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. That would have been awkward. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this, here's the word, waste of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor And they rebuked her harshly. Mary probably didn't feel like singing anymore. And then it says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now let me just, before we look at these verses, let me just make a few comments. It tells us that they were reclining. In the United States, we don't usually recline when we eat. We sit in chairs. And in the Middle East, uh, even to this day, they still oftentimes lean on their left elbow and use their right hand to feed themselves. That means by laying sideways like that, um, it helps us understand some other places in in the Bible. Like in John, it tells us the night that Jesus was betrayed before he was crucified, The disciple whom Jesus loved at Peter's bidding leaned back his head on Jesus' chest. Well, how did he do that? Because they were reclining. So Peter goes, ask him, who's going to betray? Who's going to, you know? And, And so John probably leaned back and he never forgot the closeness of being with Jesus that night. They're reclining. And so as they're eating, it would have been easy for Mary to get up from the table and break this jar and pour it out over Jesus' head. Uh, John's gospel tells us that after she had done that, also she went and anointed his feet as well, head to toe, trying to honor him. Now, that's what you did for kings. You anointed them that way. And it tells us that she took this most expensive thing, 300 days wages, they estimated, which would have been the amount a day laborer would have earned in those days, but just a lot of money. And so when you think about it, it tells us that she poured this out and John's gospel tells us the fragrance filled the house. So there's a lot of perfume. In fact, to help your imagination, it was this much. We see these bottles all the time. Can you imagine that much perfume being poured out on Jesus' head? Wow, it dripped down into his beard and onto his clothes and his feet, the fragrance filled the house. Now, I want you to imagine me opening the cap and pouring this out on my head. And the reason I want you to imagine it is because it's not going to happen. But I just, just imagine this moment. And Jesus could have said, why are you embarrassing me? Why are you putting me on the spot like this? But instead, when the other people are analyzing, criticizing, Jesus says, leave her alone. And this is the first line in this section of the notes. If you're following along, here's what he said. The first of five phrases I want to highlight. 
She's done a beautiful thing to me. Translated, guys, it wasn't even about you in the first place. This is between me and her. She did a beautiful thing to me. Years ago, I heard about a little boy who was praying at the dinner table, mealtime, and he was evidently praying so softly his parents couldn't hear him. So they said, Billy, please pray louder. We can't hear you. And I'm not advocating disrespect, but Billy looked at his parents and said, I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) And Billy understood the prayer. We can do lots of things, but if we're not talking to him, then we're not really praying in the right spirit. And so Jesus is saying, look, this was done to me. The Bible says is that the way we do our work, we can do it unto him. It's to him. That's the direction, and she got that right. The second thing that he says in verse 7, if you're following along in your Bibles, is the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. Again, if you're using the notes, you won't always have me, Jesus is saying here. You won't always have me. What does he mean? It doesn't mean that I won't still be able to be present, but I won't be physically in the body present after I die, I'm raised again and ascend into heaven at the right hand of God. Therefore, a window of time and opportunity is closing. And he quotes Deuteronomy 15.11 from the Old Testament, where God tells his people, the poor you will always have with you. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? But what Jesus is saying is, look, he's not saying don't help the poor. He's saying you can help them anytime you want, actually. It's not a bad idea, but he's saying there are some things that you can never get back, and one is that I'm going to be leaving this earth physically, and she gets it. Now, notice the next thing in verse 8, and that's in this first gray box. Do you mind reading those words with me, either from the screen or from the gray box out loud so we can do it together? She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, I want you to notice that second half of that verse. If you're following along in the notes, she anointed my body before I die. She anointed my body before I die. This is yet another way that we're different in the United States now than they were at that time. I've, uh, I've been a pastor almost 40 years, and I've traveled with a number of funeral directors out to cemeteries. And they've even told me how in the last 50 years, things have changed in the United States. In the past, families were responsible when a loved one died to wash the body and prepare the body, and a wake was often taking care of the home. But now, we're further removed from death, and therefore, funeral directors do those kind of things. But in the Middle East, loved ones would often take care to anoint the body, also just because of preserving and things like that. But if you remember... On Good Friday, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asked for Jesus' body, and because of the Sabbath, had to quickly get his body in the tomb. So they wrapped him with expensive spices, but it was on Sunday morning that the women came with spices and ointments to come and anoint Jesus' body. And Jesus is saying that they were too late. They never got to use those. She anointed my body before I die. Now, if you read Mark's gospel, Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, 
in each of those chapters, three times, Jesus predicts his death before it ever happened. And Mark 9.32 tells us that the disciples did not understand what he was saying. Jesus kept saying it, but they thought, no, no, he's not. What does that mean? He's going to be turned over. He's going to be killed. He's going to die. They, they couldn't make sense of it. But the New Testament tells us that Jesus had other people travel with him, other friendships like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who also traveled. They would have heard Jesus possibly saying these things. And I get the impression Jesus is saying, she's been listening. I'm going to die. And she saw that there is a window of opportunity. So she, she's standing in her house one day. She says, well, if he's going to die, I've, I want to honor him in some way. He's my king. And I, I think his death, is gonna, he's talked about it enough. I think it's going to serve a purpose. And I think she looked at, what, what can I do? And she looked at her house and there on the shelf, she saw what might have been a family heirloom because it was basically such a wealthy thing for their family, she says, I can anoint him. And it's going to mean breaking it. There's no turning back, but I'm going to pour it out when we have that meal to honor him. She didn't know exactly what day it would be, but she wanted to make sure she never lost that opportunity. And he says, she anointed my body before. And I'm sure the disciples were still going, what? But she understood, and he commended her for it. And then notice verse 9. Do you mind reading? It's in that second gray box or on the screen. Can we read this together? I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is told throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. If you're following along, wherever the gospel is told, what she's done will also be told. This is a fascinating statement. Here Jesus is serving notice that his death will not be the end. He's predicting that 2,000 years later at a church in Morton, Illinois, we would be talking about her. He was right. But also he uses this phrase, the gospel. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. I've heard the word, the gospel, a lot but I still don't always fully appreciate its meaning. The gospel means the good news, the good news of God. And the reason why it's such good news is because the bad news about us is bad. It means that we were created to know God, to do everything with God, but all of us have turned away from God. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that God who made us for that purpose, has come to restore us in Jesus. But it was going to cost a lot. It was going to cost his best. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in the glories of heaven, he became poor. He stepped down out of the glories of heaven to become a human being like us, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. For God so loved the world that he wasn't content to leave us in our sorry state, but he gave his one and only son, his best, that whoever, any of us, believes in him, we would not have to perish in that sorry state, but we would be restored to our purpose. What a God 
And Jesus is saying, look, this is going to travel, guys. You thought it was a waste. What she's done is going to always be told alongside, and here's why. She sacrificed her best for me, and I'm going to sacrifice my best for you. And when you see that, you also see the impact of my gift has on another person that they want to turn around and give themselves to. Beautiful. But here's the phrase that I want you to walk to your cars with today, if at all possible. And it's this next one. Remember in that first gray box we read, the first five words? Would you mind rereading those with me again out loud? She did what she could. And if you're following along in the notes, she did what she could, and it's not a waste. So I want to talk about this phrase with you, the rest of the message. She did what she could. He did what he could. This idea. I've had friends actually tell me that they would like to have these words on their gravestone. Because if they can look back and say, I did what I could with Jesus, they would be thrilled. And this is actually one of the ways that the Lord has helped me think about how to spend my life wisely. You know, Ephesians 5 says, do not live as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't waste your life. And here's how, learning from her. So let me just unpack. She did what she could. First, notice this. She doesn't compare herself to others or just talk. She acts. She doesn't compare herself to others or just talk. She acts. When I think of some of the ways that I waste my time, here's some of the ways I've wasted my time. I compare myself to other people. I remember a six-month period where I could barely preach on Sundays because I was comparing myself to a pastor who was so much more gifted than me. I could, not barely, I could barely function. I was so sickened by my own words and my own voice. And God showed me, Jeff, if you're not going to be you, who's going to be you? I'm not talking about self-promotion here. I'm talking about the fact that God don't make no junk. And God's saying, I made you for a purpose, I made you for a purpose, I made you for a purpose, and if you're so busy trying to be somebody other than yourself, it's a waste of time. You're not going to be able to move forward. Another thing I do sometimes is I analyze, and by the way, friends, we need to evaluate, discern, analyze things at times, right? But if I get so caught up in analyzing other people and what other people are doing, and I never pay attention to what God wants me to do, it can really hang you up. Or I criticize. This has become so much more common in the last two or three years. Look at what they're doing. Oh, that's stupid. What a waste. And I, I just don't move forward. So uh, when I was working on this message uh, in the past, I remember thinking of a word came to me one day, and it was called comparalyze. You put those words together, compare, criticize, analyze. And comparalyze made me realize that when I compare, Pair or analyze, criticize, I become paralyzed. I do not move forward. And God says, what a waste of time. You, don't do that. Don't do that. And so notice that she doesn't do that. Notice this too is the second thing is that she takes what she has and she gives it to Jesus. She takes what she has and gives it to Jesus. 
She didn't say, well, I don't have what they have. She said, well, here's what I do have. Can I ask you a question? What do you have? What's in your hand? What abilities? What possessions? What, uh, you know, uh, talents, gifts that maybe God's given? What do you have? What's in your hand? What, what if you gave it to Jesus? I'll just say this. This, this sermon, I want to give it to Jesus and see whatever he wants to do with it in your life, in my life. And if we'll do that, it's amazing what can happen. One of my favorite stories growing up was the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. And you know where those five loaves and two fish came from? If you put all four of the Gospels together, because that accounts in all four of the Gospels, it tells us that when Jesus said, go find out what we have, one of the disciples named Andrew comes back and says, well, there's a little boy here. He's got a lunch. But what is that among so many? But once that little guy said, I got, by the way, I've always wondered, did his mom say to him, now, you don't share that with anybody. This is all you've got. Make sure, like that. But as soon as, as soon, can you picture this little boy going, here you go. <laughs> and when it got in Jesus' hands, watch out. It became 12 basketfuls left over enough. And there's just moments when Jesus is saying, will you give me what you have? Because if you will, I can do something with it more than you can do with it. You know what I've noticed? Sometimes I don't give that to Jesus because I think I can do better with it. Or because I'm so insecure that I think once it's gone, it's gone. And this woman realized afterwards it was the best thing she ever did, putting it in Jesus' hands. I love that. One of the things that's helped me over the years is that if I, if I give myself first and put it in Jesus' hands first, then he can show me what to do with others. Um, 2 Corinthians 8.5, uh, it tells us about some incredible Christians who were in deep poverty, but when there was an opportunity to give, it, their giving rose up in rich generosity, and it tells us the secret. He said, uh, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Now, let me just share this. If you ever spend much time in church world, uh, you will find that if you decide to give yourself in serving people first and then give to the Lord, if they criticize you, you'll resent it. But if you give yourself first to the Lord and then to people and they don't appreciate it or you're never thanked or you're criticized, you can still say, the Lord still got it. I gave it to him. It was about him anyway. It was to him. He had me share it with you, but it was to him. And this is just a beautiful thing. So putting it in Jesus' hands. The third thing is she gives as a grateful response to Jesus' giving. She gives as a grateful response to Jesus' giving. Sometimes, again, we may do that top that testimony thing where you go, wow, that was a good one, Mary. Wow, that's big. And she would have said, look, please don't draw attention to me. In light of what Jesus has done for me, he's changed my life. This is a grateful response of love to him. I'm not trying to earn his love. I already have his love. This is a thank you. And when you and I see the rest of our earthly lives after we come to faith in Jesus as a thank you, oh, it's powerful. 
And it, it, it's actually an act of love. You know, Mark's gospel is really gospel of Peter. I don't know if you know this, but Mark was a young companion. And so of Jesus' big disciples, the big fishermen, most scholars believe that this is Peter's story. And so we have Peter's angle of traveling with Jesus and his younger associate, Mark. And so if that's true, if, if you ever have read about Peter and the Gospels, you know that he messed up big time. He disowned Jesus on the night it counted, and he had bragged otherwise. And when Jesus is restoring him, he had just one question there on the beach, serving him breakfast, and he asked it three times. Do you love me? Because if you love me, the rest will take care of itself. But if you don't love me, then everything you do will be a have to. In our church family, we often try and distinguish between a have to and a want to and a get to. Uh, you've probably been around people that had to. They do it because they have to. I've never seen that inspire anybody. But when you be with people that do things because they want to and because they get to, whew, I think Jesus saw the get to spirit in this woman and he felt loved. Can I ask you, do you think Jesus wants us to love him back? I really think he does. And we often talk about how great his love is for us. But I think there's just moments where I say, Jesus, am I loving you back? How am I doing that? And this woman found a way. And there's ways to do that. Um, I just, I think about this one day. So Jesus dies later that week. He's hanging on the cross. Is it possible because of that huge amount of perfume poured on his head and his beard? Is it possible that as he's hanging on the cross, there was still enough of that fragrance? That when he smelled it, he remembered that moment when Mary loved him back. Powerful, powerful. So as we think about putting this into practice, like if we actually were to do this this week and do what we can, what would it look like? Let me just bring it home here as we close. First, what's keeping me from doing what I can with Jesus, if you're following along? What's keeping me from doing what I can with Jesus? Can I just think about this with you a little bit? What holds us back? What's held me back? Uh, the first is, is that, um, have you thought about um, just being criticized? I told you earlier that you can't do things very long in this world without being criticized or evaluated or analyzed. And um, in church world, uh, again, especially as a pastor's kid, I saw that some people would leave the church because their feelings got hurt. It happens. What has happened? My feelings have been hurt. If you get criticized, it's, it's, it holds you back from wanting to keep doing something else. You ever, you ever had that happen? If you found yourself pulling back and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore, can I just appeal to you and say, don't let that stop you from doing what you can to Jesus, with Jesus? Um, here's another one. Limitations. Physical, time, pressures. Sometimes we have limitations. There's a woman who's a very dear friend of mine who lives in Iowa, I used to be a pastor there for a time, and she's close to my age, and for 30 years she's had MS, multiple sclerosis. And this last couple of years, it's gotten really hard, 
or she can't use her hands as easily as, and she can't walk as easily. And it's so easy when we talk, it's so easy to fall into this, I can't do that anymore. And she's finding that if she can change the question from what can't I do to what can I do, she makes way more progress. And that's helping her. My mother has fibromyalgia for the last 45 years. Talented nurse in the years past. A busy mom when I was growing up. And now she in her 80s is not able to do a lot of those things. Getting out of bed some days is a big deal. But when she started asking what can I do, the Lord showed her that she had the spiritual gift of intercessory prayer. And so she's been praying up a storm the last 45 years. And she texts people at times and tells them she's praying for them. And she did that for me this morning. And if this message helps you, maybe it was her prayer. Because she did what she could. And we all need more ditters in this world, don't we? And um, so what's keeping you? Here's another one. Does it upset your routine? I've found sometimes I just want to protect my routine. Don't ask me to do that, Lord. That would upset my routine. And the Lord says, would you mind I'm the Lord of your life? Could I, could I upset your routine? And the last one is, do I think that it has to always be a big thing? Because, you know, we talk about this, expensive. It, like, she went for broke on this. But I think the reason she could do that is because she'd been doing little things before that. And also, you know this, don't you? Is all of us have to kind of wrestle through of giving our heart fully to God. And that if we'll wrestle through that and give ourselves first and fully to Jesus, an expensive thing of perfume is easy. Because he has our heart. And so when you think about that, the little things. So, um, for instance, Jesus said, a cup of cold water given in my name, well, you will not, will not lose its reward. So maybe it's a cup of cold water. Maybe it's a little thing. I'm going to date myself now when I talk about this next thing. But when I first started as a pastor, we used to do this thing called writing letters. Have you ever heard of it? It's, it's kind of interesting. It was before email and texting. I mean, people in their own hand wrote letters. This was an amazing thing. And I used to write lots of them. But what I noticed is, is that I would, maybe there was someone in our church that really, I just so appreciated him, and I wanted to express it, and I knew it might mean a long letter because there were so many things I appreciated, and I noticed that weeks would go by, and I didn't get the letter written. Finally, I remember hearing someone say, uh, you may not write a long letter, but you could write a two or three sentence masterpiece. All of a sudden, I was free. I just started trying to write two or three sentences, and sometimes I'd write more. But I knew that just by changing that expectation of it not having to be a big thing, I could do a little thing. And a little thing oftentimes helped me do many more little things. So here's the closing prayer of this. But Lord, keep teaching me how to do what I can with you today. Lord, keep teaching me how to do what I can today. Let me just tell you one of the ways I told you my relational world has been complicated. Uh, in a good way, by the way. It just means more responsibility. That's all I'm saying. And you have more responsibility probably at times that's overwhelming to you. 
But here's one of the things that started helping me move forward is when I woke up in the morning, I'd say, Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for me. And now that you live in me, show me how to do this day with you so I don't waste it. But here's the thing. Who's one person I can encourage today? Just one. I may end up encouraging 10. But if I aim for one, the chances of me encouraging more people goes up than if I say I've got to encourage 10 and I fall short. And so who is one in this church family? If you walk in on Sunday mornings with that heart that says, who's one person I can spot or look for or build into, encourage, lift up, thank, praise. Oh man, can you imagine the atmosphere that would happen and the fragrance that would fill this room and Morton and greater Peoria if each one of us woke up every day and just said, Lord, I can't do everything, but will you show me what I can do and help me do it with gratitude and thankfulness in my heart because you, you started this whole thing by the way you gave yourself first to me. Thank you so much for welcoming me today. I hope as you walk to your car, you'll be able to think, she did what she could, he did what he could, and that you'll do it for the glory of God. Bless you.